this woman, um, she, um, I remember when she came into these rooms, um, and um, I have watched her just grow over the last three years, just uh, going from someone that was just in a lot of pain, a lot of despair, to be just a beacon for newcomers coming into these rooms. So uh, I love you, Terry, and look forward to hearing your experience, strength, and hope. I'm Terry. <sighs> Shake it out. Um, thank you so much for asking me to do this, and thank you for all showing up. And so, disclaimer, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm a crier. So I brought some tissues. If anybody needs any, let me know. Um, no, I, um, I'm, I'm a little nervous. You can probably hear my heart beating already, but uh, I invited God to come in with me. So, we'll see where he leads me. So, anyway, so what I want to start out with is um, I'm not here because of my husband. I needed this long before him. But that's what brought me here. But, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I grew up in a small town in Indiana, 15,000 people maybe. And I had a normal childhood, you know. Maggie and I on the way, on the plane right here, we're talking about stuff we did in my neighborhood and and just a, just a normal childhood and um in my family we drank to celebrate and um my dad celebrated daily okay and um i never knew any different i never thought there was anything wrong with that but the only thing that i did notice in all of that was that he was mean you know we the my dad's nickname when we were a kid was hitler we were called, all of our friends called him Hitler, you know, because he was just a mean guy. And uh, we, we were afraid of him. And we would see his truck coming down the street when he was coming home and everybody scrambling like cockroaches to get their stuff done before he got in the house or you were in trouble, you know. And um, I'll share one story about a little bit of what happened in our childhood. In Indiana, basketball is a huge thing. And um, so one year, our our high school team made it to the regional finals. And so uh, when you get to the regional finals, everybody goes to this city, and uh, they get hotel rooms, and they go to the game, and then they just have a big party. Well, we couldn't afford to stay at the hotel room, but we went for the party. And uh, we were there, and my dad got pretty drunk, and my mom didn't want him driving home. And uh, he refused to let my mom drive. And uh, she did get in the car with him, with us, kids and but she's just yapping at him the whole way about so he pulls over on the side of the road out in the country and uh, kicked us all out of the car and then he went off and left us <laughs> and um, we start walking home and he came, you know, he came back to get us but he he would not let my mom drive so he let my 16 year old sister drive and when we got home that night I remember him lining us all up and setting us on the couch and um, they said well we're going to get a divorce who do you want to live with you know and they start going down the couch and asking everybody and I have an older sister and two brothers and and nobody wanted to go with my dad because he's a mean guy right so everybody's like I'm going with mom I'm going with mom and I'm the last one on the couch and I said well I guess I'll go with dad then and that's just to show you a little bit about my people pleasing because I didn't want him to feel bad that nobody wanted to go with him you know and and that's just how my life was as I never I always wanted to make everybody happy and I I didn't feel 
I didn't feel love. I expressed that early on, that I didn't feel like I was loved. I was shown love immensely by my parents, but I didn't feel love. Um, I know today that that's because I had no self-worth. I didn't think I was worthy. But, um, you know, my mom is just an incredible woman. And um, she, bless her heart. She's a Kohanon, <laughs> I think. She's untreated Kohanon. But um, she held that house together, you know. She took care of four kids, and she worked her butt off. And he didn't work half the time. And um, I really admire my mom, you know, and what she went through and what she did. Because he, he was physically abusive to her and verbally abusive to her. And anyway, growing up, um, I became, somewhere around my freshman year in high school, I wanted to go to college. And uh, the counselor at school says, go home and ask your parents how much money there is for you to go to college. And I remember going home and asking my dad, you know, how much money is there going to be for me to go to college? And he's like, there's no reason for a woman to ever go to college. You're just going to get pregnant and married, and there's no reason for you to go to college. And then from that point on, why try? You know, I'm just going to have fun. And so I had lots of fun. By the way, my two girlfriends from my high school came to visit tonight. And uh, they know how much fun I had. Just ask them. <laughs> but, yeah, I, got, I was a little wild. I got a little crazy. And, and I was doing, you know, drugs all the time and drinking all the time. From I started drinking when I was 14. Um, somewhere after I graduated from high school, we moved out. I moved out of my parents' house the day after graduation because I couldn't wait to get away from my dad. And uh, we got a house. And it was just party central. That's all we did was party for the next three months. And uh, got into a lot of trouble. And the police came to my parents and said, if you want to save her life, you need to get her out of here. So they, my parents said, well, you're going to live with your uncle in Arizona. And I had about two weeks before I was leaving. And um, I went on a date with um, this boy from my high school. And um, I was day raped. And um, I never told anybody because I had, somehow in my mind, I had come to the conclusion that if you want to have sex with me, you must love me. Or I had to use sex for you to love me. And uh, so I never told anybody. And I get to Arizona, and uh, about two months after I'm here, I realize I was pregnant. And I couldn't tell anybody what had happened. So that's a secret that I kept for many, many years. But um, I had that baby. And I had that baby, and um, I finally had somebody that loved me. And um, I remember calling my parents to see if I could come home. And they said, uh, you can come home on one condition. You don't hang out with any of the people you were hanging out with before, and if you start drinking and doing drugs again, we're going to take your baby away. So that was it. I was done. I really never did any drugs after that. I might have spoke pot a couple times, but I really never did any drugs after that. I drank as I got older, but um, nothing, you know, not frequently, not on a daily basis and not, not to excess, really. So once in a while, it's to excess, but I don't, I don't feel like I ever had a problem with it. But, you know, I had this child, and I had grown up with these beliefs that it needs to look a certain way, you know. I was a child of TV when I was a kid and watching these, you know, I wanted to be June Cleaver and I wanted Ward to come home and I wanted to bring him his slippers and his newspaper and that's what I wanted and that's not the family that I had. It was just me and this little boy. But I wanted you to think 
that I was that woman that could do everything, you know, that I could be perfect, that I could raise this child and I could have a beautiful home and I could do all these things. And, uh, and you know, I called it being strong. That's my mom. My mom was a strong woman that could hold everything together, and I needed to be that woman too. And because I was important to me, what you thought of me, you know. So um, I'm raising this kid, and somewhere, I guess he was probably about two or three years old, I'm just, I make a minimum wage, trying to support him, uh, have a house, and my bills are more than I'm making, and I'm just distraught. And I ended up checking myself up in, into a mental health facility for depression. And um, there was an instance in that mental health facility, and this came up just recently to me that I, I started to think about this again, but there was a practice or a little exercise that they had us do, and we were to write down uh, the priorities in our life in order as to what was most important what was least important. And the very first thing on my list was my job. The second thing was my son. God was at the very bottom. Because somewhere in my teenage years, I'd had a bad experience at my local church. I went to church. I was in the youth group and all that. But I had a bad experience of some judgment, and that was it for me. There was no more God in my life. I didn't want anything to do with it, and I did not believe in God anymore, and I never went back to church. So God was not important to me, was not in my life. And um, I, I remember during this exercise, this counselor saying, well, why would your job be the most important thing, you know? And she just kept pounding me and pounding me and, until I got to the point where I broke, and I said, because if I don't have a job, I can't support my child. That's got to be the most important thing, you know. And so then she took me off one-on-one, and, I, you know, I just wasn't ready to hear anything that she had to say because I knew that this was how I had to do this, you know. So life went on. It's just me and him, and I'm working and doing the best that I can, and I got an opportunity to go to school. So I went to, um, got to go to college and um, got a degree, and we moved out to Arizona. And, you know, for the first time in my life, I really felt accomplished. I graduated at the top of my class with the school, and um, I was able to buy a house, and, and now we're, we're working towards that dream that I'd had all this time, this family, and all that's missing is a man, you know. I need a man to make me complete. So I'm searching, you know, and I'm, I get on the Internet looking at, uh, you know, how to meet guys and get on these uh, chat sites or whatever. That's where I met my husband. Anyway, I met him online, and um, we met in a bar, of course, and had a couple drinks, and, and um, he moved in that night. <laughs> and um, in 11 days, we were engaged. <laughs> so, um, and, and uh, you know, if, I, if truth be told, did I love him after 11 days? Probably not. It was lust. But he asked. And I, I, that's what I'd always wanted. I wanted to be in a relationship. And I told my mom that I got engaged to this guy, and my mom says, Oh, my God, he could be a serial killer. You know nothing about this man. So we had about a year and a half engagement just to let everybody become comfortable with it. But, you know, I, I, I grew to love him very much and, and um, still do to this day, you know. He's a great guy. But we, we got married, and um, life was pretty good. He drank every day. I knew he drank every day. It never bothered me. The difference between him and my dad was night and day. He was a giggly, fun, happy guy. My dad is angry, you know. So I love the fact that he was happy, and it, it never bothered me. I never paid any attention to how much he drank, nothing. About two years into our marriage, now he had, um, he had two kids, and I have one son. And um, about two years into our marriage, his daughter Sarah, had, she had been dating this boy 
for a while. And we kind of always had this inkling that he might be abusive to her, and um, she always denied it. But she called us up, and it was on Halloween. And she said, tells her dad, you know, he's been um, stalking me. And he slipped my tires, and he slipped Mom's tires. And uh, I got a restraining order, and I'm going to go stay at Grandma and Grandpa's. And my husband says, that's all right. I'm coming out there, and I'll take care of it, you know. And she and I both were like, no, you're not going to do that. You're just going to get yourself thrown in jail, let the police do their job. Twelve days later, we get the phone call, and he had so – it always makes me cry, so I apologize. But he had attacked her as she was getting out of her car to go to school. And he had stabbed her almost 30 times. He had cut her carotid artery, her femoral artery. She played dead. And he left and went and hung himself. And she was able to crawl out of that car. And um, someone found her laying on the ground. And um, she lived. The, the paramedic told us that, that it's a miracle that she didn't bleed out. But she lived, and... Um, my husband could never forgive himself for that. And he could never forgive me because I didn't let him go. And from that point on, his drinking went to a whole new level. So no, he's, not, he's no longer Mr. Happy, funny, jokey guy, you know. And now he's angry, pissed off, excuse my language, and he's he just this horrible guy. Uh, when we got married, I left this out, but when we got married, the first month after we got married, I said, we're going to go to marriage counseling because we have communication issues. So I married him knowing that I had communication issues, but we'd been going to counseling all along. So once this happened to Sarah, then he started counseling a lot more frequently on his own, and I was going with him too. And, and this went on for nine years of um, this this angry guy, I just I never knew what I was coming home to. Um, just depressed and just just really in a lot of pain, you know. And he could never get past it. And the drinking escalated and escalated and escalated. And we uh, after about nine years, I'd made us, you know. At this point in time, he's not able to. When when we first got married, he's like gardener and taking care of the house and all that. He has stopped all of that stuff. He's not able to do anything anymore. And um, so I'm, I'm doing everything for him, and I made appointments for us to go get our physicals. And in his physical, the doctor told him that he needed to see a cardiologist right away, that they'd done an EKG on him, and there was a problem. And she wanted him to write down his blood pressure every day. And so he's writing down his pr- blood pressure, and I don't know, the thought came to me that maybe I need to pay attention to how much he's drinking here, you know. So I started counting, see how much he's drinking, and then I would just write this little number out to the side of how much he had that day, you know. And this was at the first point in our whole relationship that I had ever paid any attention. I didn't, I never counted him. I, there was times when I told him, I'm not buying your beer anymore. You use your own money to buy your beer. I'm done with that. But I never paid him any attention to how much he was drinking. And there was one, one day in particular that he'd been home for three hours, and in three hours he'd drank 16 beers. And I was like, wow. So we go to the doctor, go to the cardiologist, and she's looking at it, and she's like, well, your, your blood pressure is really high, and your cholesterol is high, and what are these little numbers over here? And I'm like, well, that's how many, beer, how many drinks he had that day. And she's like, what do you mean drinks? And I'm like, beers. And she's like, oh, my God, you can't drink that much. I can't give you the medication you need for your heart if you're drinking that much. 
you've got to cut it down to two or three a day or, or none at all. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, that, that's what the doctor said. That's what you have to do. And so he tried to cut back to two or three a day, and that just uh, didn't work. And about three or four months after this happened, my one of my siblings had got into um, some gambling problems. She was $150,000 in debt. She had stolen money from her work. She was facing prison time, and she just tried to commit suicide. She was going to kill herself because she couldn't face it. And uh, when that happened, I went into full colonism. You know, she's laying in the hospital on a respirator, and I'm in her house going through all of her stuff trying to figure out how, why is it so bad that she felt the need to commit suicide, you know. And I'm, I'm managing her life, and I'm telling her, well, we're going to sell your house, and we're going to sell all your things, and you're going to move in with Mom, and we have to watch you, and blah, 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 blah. I'm just, I'm just crazy, crazy. And um, I remember we are having this yard sale selling off all my sister's stuff, and my husband is standing out on the corner with a sign, twirling the sign, just drunk as can be, you know. And I, I had a counseling appointment that day, so I come home, and he comes home with me, and... Um, we get in this big fight, which we, we're fighting daily at this point, you know, just, just anger all the time. And we get in this big fight, and I, and I notice, because I'm counting still, that he's had a case of beer. It's only 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you know. And I said, well, why don't you just come to the counseling appointment with me? So we get to this counseling appointment, and I told the counselor, or I told him in front of the counselor, I am done with the drink, and I have had enough. And he says, well, you're not going to tell me whether I can drink or I can't drink. And I'm like, I'm not telling you you can or can't. I'm telling you, I'm not going to be a part of it anymore. And so that day, he said, we come home, and we talked a little bit, and I said, just go to an AA meeting. And he said he would, and so we get up the next morning, and I, of course, I got online. I find the AA meeting for him and tell you, this is the one you're going to go to, and this is what time it starts. And get up the next morning, he's like, I don't think I can do it. And I said, you promise me you have to go, and I'll go with you. If you're scared, I'll go with you. And so he's like, okay, you go with me. So we go to this AA meeting, <laughs> and I had, when my sister had started having her problems with the gambling addiction, I started going to a 12-step program with her for that, because um, she needed somebody had a driver, right? And so I was going to a GA with her, and uh, so I thought I knew all about meetings, you know, two months of going to meetings. And so we get there, and I'm high, bubbly and high and introducing him to everyone. This is my husband, Pat. He's an alcoholic, you know. <laughs> And um, we get inside the meeting, and they said, are there any newcomers? And I said, he, he just sat there, and so I just grabbed his hand and raised his hand. <laughs> and we introduce ourselves, and, and some old-timer in the meeting says, oh, you brought your enabler with you. <laughs> and I was totally offended. How could he say he wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me, you know? And uh, so anyway, it, from my, my perspective, the rest of the meeting was all about us, you know, it was all directed at us, and, and it was very emotional for both of us, it really was, and we come out of that meeting, and, and all these guys hover around my husband, and they're talking to my husband, and this one little old woman walks up to me, and she's like, we got him now, you don't need to come back anymore, and I'm like, well, how dare they, he wouldn't be here without me, you know, I was totally offended, but anyway, she told me about Al-Anon, and so um, I went to an Al-Anon meeting the next week, and um, the only thing I heard in that meeting was God. That was the only thing I heard, you know. And I remember leaving that meeting and going home and telling him, it's just a bunch of Bible thumpers and I'm not going back. And that 
he started from that point on when we went to that meeting he came home that day and he started pouring out liquor liquor bottles out of our liquor cabinet that he had drained and filled up with iced tea or something I don't know what it was but he started dumping them out and I had no idea you know um, but I never went to Al-Anon and he started going to one meeting a week and he went on the O'Doul's plan you know and he's just, just drinking O'Doul's and I was fine with that because that's not liquor that's not alcohol you know so about six months he did O'Doul's and then he didn't need it anymore and I thought no oh, well, okay you're good you know you're good but he was still angry guy angry guy's still there you know and things are still uneasy in our house, and we're still fighting daily. And, and I, don't want, I, I don't want anybody knowing about it. Like, we'll be outside, and we'll be in this heated argument, and I'm just like, keep your voice down. Go inside before the neighbors hear us. But yet, I'm on the phone calling everybody. Do you know what he's doing? He's doing this, and he's doing that. And I'm becoming the town crier, telling everybody all of his business. And I'm not proud of that, but that's what I did. And, um, you know, it... It got to the point where he's, um, I'm finding hidden bottles. He's, he's now switched from beer to liquor, and he's got bottles hidden all over the house. And um, I'm, just, I'm just beside myself. My life has become unmanageable. I don't know what to do anymore. I'm searching the house. I'm going through his car. I'm, you know, anything that I can do to try and control him, I'm doing. And um, I don't see anything wrong with it. That's what, that's what I'm supposed to do. I have to help him, you know. And I caught myself... In the middle of the night, it's like midnight, and I'm, <laughs> I'm in our front yard in my pajamas going through a dumpster looking for empties because he's telling me he wasn't drinking, and I know he was, and I have to find proof. And who I'm proving it to, I have no idea because he knew he was drinking, I knew he was drinking, but I had to prove him, prove that he was. And um, this goes on, you know, for another nine months probably, and um Anyway, he, he lost his job. He got fired, and um, now he's sitting at home. He's drinking every day, and I, I don't want to come home because I, know, I don't know what I'm coming home to, but i got to come home because i got to watch him. i got to see what he's doing, you know. And um, I come home one day, and, well, actually, yeah, I come home one day, and he's got a loaded gun, and he wants to blow his head off. And I took that load again, because I didn't know how to unload it, and I stuck it down my pants. So he can't get it, right? Because he ain't been in my pants for a long time, right? <laughs> but I'm hiding this gun in my pants, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know how to unload it, so I call one of his buddies to come and get his gun, you know? And, um, and he tells me, I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I don't know how to stop. I can't stop. I need help. And I said, well, call the insurance company and find out where you can go. And so he waited till Monday morning. I went to work. He calls the insurance company. And when I get home that night, he's just beside himself because he called the insurance company and told him he wanted to kill himself. And they said, call 911. And when he heard 911, he thought they wanted to take him to jail. So he doesn't, you know, I'm not going. I'm, I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to go to jail. And so my boss had had a couple kids that had been in recovery. And um, so I went to work the next day and I just spilled my guts to my boss and told my boss I need help. And so he told me about where his kids went. So the next day, um, my husband says, well, will you call them for me and see if I can get in there? And so I called him, and they're like, well, we don't want to talk to you. He needs to call us. I'm like, he won't do anything. He won't do anything for himself. He wants me to do it. No, sorry, he needs to call us. So I called him, and I'm like, I can't do this for you. You've got to do it yourself. So he calls this place, and um, 
he went over and met with him and he really came home he's really excited i loved it it's great i start tomorrow and um he goes to his first meeting you know or first he wanted to do outpatient things so he went to his iop thing and the next day he said he left me a message that he was going to a um um alumni meeting that night and i thought oh great he's in it you know and the next day was family day and i got to go to family day with him and so we're um we go to the class and then we you know there's rainbows and butterflies flying out my butt i'm just thinking oh this is wonderful and they cut they go around the group and they come to me first and i'm just like i'm so happy that he's here and i'm so excited for him to get some help and this is just such a wonderful place blah 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 and then i pass and they go to him and the counselor says how many days you got sober and he sits there and he just doesn't say anything i almost answered for him i I am thinking in my head oh it's got to be like 11 12 days i think you know and um i almost answered for him and he says i don't have 24 hours and the counselor says you came to that meeting last night drunk i smelled it on you and he's like yeah i did and i mean my jaw hit the floor i had no idea i don't smell it on him i don't know why that i guess i don't kiss him enough but i do not smell alcohol on him but um he looked at the counselor looked at me and he said you had no idea and i said no none and he's like you need to quit doing everything for him and um you need to go to Al-Anon, and there's a meeting across the parking lot on Tuesday. So we left that meeting, and I'm just, my life is, I'm powerless, and it's unmanageable. And uh, we left that meeting, and I went home. Well, before we even got home, we got on the freeway, and I said, listen, I'm, I'm done. At this point, I had been filing his unemployment for him. I had been applying for jobs for him. I'm doing everything around the house. I'm paying all the bills. I am just, like, m- managing everything, you know. And I said, I'm, I'm not doing anything for you anymore. You have to be responsible for your own things, you know. And so we get home, and I get online, and I found an Al-Anon meeting. And it was a beginner's meeting. It was that night. And I told him, I said, I'm going to a meeting tonight. And he's like, well, honey, this isn't about you. You don't have to do that. And I said, oh, wait, this quit being about you about two hours ago. Now it's about me. So I went to my first meeting. And um, I had to take my mom with me because I couldn't do it myself, you know. And um, I didn't talk to anybody. We just went in and we sat down. And I heard three things in that meeting. I only heard three. Th- it, was a, it was a birthday meeting, so there was three speakers. But I heard three things. I heard I deserve to be happy, and God did I know I deserve to be happy. I heard the three C's. I didn't cause it. I can't control it, and I can't cure it. And I heard zip it, which had never occurred to me to z- shut my mouth because I am like a yappy dog on him all the time. I am cutting him down. I am using sarcasm. I am degrading him. I completely broke his spirit with my mouth, and um, that. And I'm ashamed of that today. But that's what it was. That's the truth. And uh, anyway. I remember leaving that meeting, and I remember saying to my mom, I guess I need to get right with God. So um, I went to that Tuesday meeting that that counselor had recommended me to go into. And it was a Conan meeting, you know. And I saw people in there that um, were happy. They had smiles on their faces. They had said things that I could relate to that... um, understood my pain and I had become just a little bit willing to try something different 
And I, you know, for the first three months that I went to meetings, I did nothing but cry. I never said anything. I just cried. But I listened. And I heard a lot of stuff. And I heard how you were getting through worse situations than mine, you know. And um, I found some hope, you know. And then I got a sponsor. And I didn't get a sponsor, really, because I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to work the steps because I needed a distraction from him, but I actually wanted somebody to tell me how to get rid of him. That's why I went. Because I was done. I didn't want to do it anymore. And that people pleaser in me, he's, he doesn't have a job. He doesn't have any money. I can't kick him out. You know, what's going to happen to him? He's not, who's going to take care of him, right? So I was waiting for somebody to, and I wore her out the first six months on the, oh, when can I kick him out? When can I, how can I get out of this, you know? And she's like, just pray about it. Don't, don't make any decisions for the first year and just pray about it. And I started doing the steps, you know. And, um, you know, my husband, he, his road's been a rough road. He's a chronic relapser. He, um. He ended up getting out of that IOP, and within two weeks, he's drinking again. Then he went inpatient, and I remember dropping him off at the inpatient. Well, he's telling me before we went there, well, the reason it didn't work is because I didn't do it for me. I did it for you, and then I'm like, okay, I am not getting involved in this. Call your sponsor, you know, and I, I, st- I stepped back, and I didn't get involved, and, and it was so hard for me to do that, but I didn't. And, when we, you know, his sponsor's meeting with him at a meeting, and I'm there, and the sponsor, he's getting ready to take him over and show him the place. And Pat's like, well, I'm going to ride with Terry. And I'm like, no, 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 you ride with him. I don't want you riding with me. And I let the sponsor take care of it, you know. I turned him over to them. And when I'm leaving that place, he's, he's on me like, bring my car over here. I need you. And I, say, I just kept saying, I can't drive two cars. I'm not bringing your car over here. And I said, I don't know, you know, where you're at or what's going on with you, but I'm going to get healthy with or without you. So I started working the steps. And um, little by little, I started to change. Little by little, I started to see my part, you know, that I had a part. Uh, the God thing was huge for me. I, I didn't believe in God. And, um, I think one of the greatest gifts that I've got from this program is that it could be a God of my own understanding. It did not have to be what I learned in in grade school or in Sunday school. It could be what I wanted it to be. And I've come to believe today that it's a feeling. When I bring God into me, I have a feeling, you know, and I trust that he's got me, you know, and that he's going to watch my back. And and I, I feel him within me. I can't tell you what it looks like. I can't give you any of that, but I feel it, you know. So I've developed a relationship with this God of my understanding. I work the four-step. Now, my first four-step, I look at it now, and I'm actually working on another four-step right now because I left a lot of stuff out. I still thought at that point in time that he was the problem, you know, that I didn't have anything in it. He was the problem. I left a lot of stuff out, so I'm working on that now. But um, it was an uncovering, discovering, and discarding, like the big book says, finding what's going on inside of me and seeing that, that unworthiness, that me feeling like I'm not good enough, that I'm not worthy of anything, was what drove my life. Fear. I was fear-driven. And you, I would not have admitted to anyone that I was afraid of anything. I'm a strong woman, and I can handle myself. And I, I had a hard time recognizing that all of this stuff was based on fear. Um, my sixth step for me was huge. It was my first spiritual experience on my sixth step because I'm going. She gave me this list: 194 character defects, 
And I circled probably three-fourths of that list of 194. And I remember I'm sitting on my bed on a Sunday afternoon, and I'm looking at this, and I just start weeping hysterically. And my husband comes, and he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm a horrible person. And he's like, dude, you're not that bad, you know? (laughs) But I just felt horrible. I had done all these things, you know? And this is the person that I was, and it was not who I wanted to be. And so... um, there was a meeting that was starting in like a half an hour, and I'm in, you know, I don't know about you, but I have Sunday house cleaning clothes, and they're not very pretty. And I'm in these clothes, and I'm like, God's telling me I need to go to that meeting. i got to go right now. And I just, like, left and went to the meeting. And, and in that meeting, the reading was about the storm that's created in your household. And I was just like, oh, I'm the tornado. I'm the one that got everything stirred up. He just wanted to sit there and be drunk. I kept things stirred up. I kept everybody in a, in a tizzy, you know. I was the storm. And so I had to start looking at that and, and realizing that that's not who I want to be. I don't want to be that person. So I, I was able to, you know, let go of some of those or ask God to relieve me of those character defects, and I have to do that on a daily basis because they come back easily, you know. Um, today, whether he's drinking or he's not drinking, it's, it doesn't affect me. It's not about him it's about me. It's about finding my peace and my inner serenity and finding how I can be comfortable with the woman that I am, whether he wants to drink or he doesn't want to drink. Um, I remember the last fight that we had. You know, we used to fight every day, and we haven't, we haven't fought a lot since we've been in recovery, but the last fight we had was last fall, and, um, and I came home from working within 10 minutes. It was just this horrible, nasty, he's just berating me and, and um, verbally abusing me. And, you know, I'd, I'd learned some tools. I had some tools. Not Don't pick up the rope. Don't engage. Call your sponsor. And I used them all and, and tried to get away from him. But he's not one that if I walk away, he won't leave me alone. He follows me, and he wants to keep it going, you know. And it was three hours of this, and I, I kept my cool most of the time. I did yell at him once, but most of the time I kept my cool and let it go. And the next morning I woke up, and he apologizes, and I said, you know, I know that wasn't you last night. That was alcoholism. That's not you. But what I also know is that for the first time in my life, I felt abused. And that's not okay with me anymore. I'm worthy of more. That's growth. Because I never thought I was worthy before, you know? And uh, shortly after that, he um, ends up in the hospital and um, he has pancreatitis, you know, and the doctors told him then, two things cause pancreatitis, gallbladder or alcoholism in your gallbladder spine, you know. And the doctor just came right out and told him, you know, if you drink again, you're going to die. And uh, it, as far as I know, he hasn't drank since, or actually before that. I don't know that, you know. There's no way for me to know if he's drinking or he's not drinking. That's on him, but... I think he's working on his program right now. It's different. It's different than it's been all along. That's all I can say. He's different. And um, I like that. Angry guy's gone right now, and I'm glad he's gone. I don't want to see him come back, you know, but I, I can't, that's out of my control. I have no control over whether that happens or not. What I have control about is how I react to it and what I do for me. And uh, my sponsor got me very active in service from the get-go, you know, and I never felt worthy. I, well, I'm not good enough to do this. I haven't been in here long enough, but she made me get active right away. And, um, and it's what a blessing. What a blessing it's been. I've met so many people. I've helped some people, you know, and 
um, it's been the greatest gift that I've ever gotten. And, and, you know, I got to be the chair for our area convention and I've gotten to be on the world service board now. And then, you know, you asked me to do this and, uh, anything that I can do to help somebody else I'm ready to do today because that keeps me connected and that keeps me in touch with God. And that's what I need, you know, um, there's always going to be chaos in life. I, I understand that. And, um, you know, I've, I've had issues with my job, and I've been able to use the 12 steps to help me get through that situation and and learn that I have a huge ego. Who knew, right? And I try to control everything around me, and I've had to back away from that and realize it's not my business. I have to mind my own business. And that's been a blessing, too, because I can go to a job that I don't like today and and be friendly and be kind and be tolerant and walk away at the end of the day, you know. Um, sooner or later, I hope that God will put something else in my position, but if he doesn't, I can deal with what I have for now, you know. Um, I am so grateful for this program, for the people that came before me, and the people that have shown me the way. And um, I wanted to end with today's reading. This is one of my favorite readings, and I share this with some of my sponsees. And this is out of One Day at a Time in Al-Anon. And it's July 1st. This I learned in Al-Anon, says a member at a meeting, that the man I married cannot be the source of my happiness or sorrow. The gift of life is personally mine, as his life belongs to him, to enjoy or destroy as he wishes. I see him angry, must I be? He's hostile, must I be? Am I being faithless to my marriage vows when I achieve a bit of self-confidence while he continues to suffer the pains of self-doubt? I'm not his guide, his master, or his keeper. We are individuals and must each find our lonely way to our goals. My sources of comfort and strength he refuses to share with me. I've learned through bitter experience that it is fruitless to offer them. Adjusting myself to things as they are and being able to love without trying to interfere with or control anyone else, however close to me, that is what I search for and can find in Al-Anon, Conan in my case. The learning is sometimes painful. The reward of life itself is rich, full, and serene. I thank you for my life. I thank God for my life. Thank you for letting me share.